Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Hi. Hi, Holly. How are you? Uh, well, I, I want to get at that by asking you two questions. (laughs) And I want you to uh, take a few seconds to reflect on each. I'll ask them one at a time and tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Without reflecting for a few seconds? (laughs) No, you can reflect. You can reflect (laughs) and I will will sit here and tell puns while I watch you reflect. And people need to know that you have no idea I, no, I feel like I'm in a magic so, trick right now. <laughs> all right, okay. If it's possible for you to share, I want to know the first thing that you think what comes to mind when you hear the phrase Christianity and me. No, Christianity and Holly. Hmm. I would say redemption arc and the reason I say that Christianity used to mean doctrine to me following a certain set of rules I could not fit inside of those rules I'm a six but I'm a counterphobic six (laughs) so I tend to question the rules and want them to bend and want to reshape them I tried and almost did leave Christianity. It's not like anyone wouldn't let me. I just um, at that time thought, oh, I'm not going to become anything else. I'm not devout enough to be anything. (laughs) Um, But I was in a real quarrel with Christianity for a long time because um, starting with some of my gay friends were really hurt by it. And it didn't make sense to me to believe in a religion that hurt people right? or that told me I was wrong for having sex, right? Like these were the things that were people you, and it's Christianity at the way that I experienced it was very shaming towards women and girls. Um, The redemption arc is then I met Jesus (laughs) and like really met Jesus. Like Jesus was always part of that earlier part of Christianity, but I think I didn't understand Jesus. How did you meet Jesus? I have this wonderful teacher. Uh, Name is Bill Curley. uh, Okay. (laughs) Um, Well, I will say though, actually before you, before I started attending Ordinary Life, the last class I took in college and I took it pass fail because I thought I'm almost done. I don't really need a grade for this. I've already got made the Dean's list. I'm graduating was the historical Jesus. It was about reading the gospels side by side and looking at them from a historical lens. I was introduced to Marcus Borg. I was introduced to John Dominic Crossan. Um, that class wow. began to go, oh, there's a whole other way to understand this. That's wonderful. 
Would you say that your answer that you just gave me would have been similar if I'd said uh, to respond to the phrase, the church and me? My answer to that question would be very different. Very different. Yeah. Really? I don't, I don't experience. Ooh, I have a very different relationship to the church than I do to Jesus okay. at this point in time. Okay. Yeah. So do you put the church and Christianity in kind of the same category? Yeah, and I almost set Jesus outside of both of those. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. What I'm saying? Yeah. 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 And yet I also experienced that the church is an imperfect place to have community. Mm-hmm. It's a place where when church is open enough and 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 done right and 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 done well can be a place where we grapple together mm-hmm. can be a place where community happens um that's what i think church is important for and religion too it, it's a place for community in my mind to grapple together i feel like ordinary life has been that mm-hmm. and it does happen within a church but it um it doesn't feel like my associations with church mm-hmm. if that makes sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So when we come back to co-teaching in three weeks, I want you to say that. I want you to spend some time talking about that. Uh, and I will. Would you do that? Yeah. Yeah, I want. Yeah. I want to do that. And I would say that um, the Christianity and the church would almost be in the same category for me, except for Saint Paul. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And and I don't want to idealize. Um, we can talk about idealization of people also as part mm-hmm. of this podcast, but I don't want to idealize the people here. What I mean is that there's something about the space here that um, speaks to me. Uh, that part of me that's drawn to the Gothic architecture, et cetera, et cetera, sometimes um, based on where my my office is now and what it was back down in the dungeon, I don't call it the dungeon anymore, but I would make sure that if I went up and got a cup of coffee or hot tea, I would go through the sanctuary so that I could experience the windows and the sunlight mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, second mm-hmm. question. Okay. Apart from your immediate family, your concern for mm-hmm. your children and so forth, mm-hmm. when you wake up in the morning, what are your major concerns? Mm. Um, I'll preface this by saying that um, I would a person who's been a kind of oh, on the sidelines advisor in my dissertation program or PhD program said, write about the question that keeps you up at night. And I think that that question is also the one that gets you up in the morning. And the phrase that I will use because I just reread this essay is contributing to making a more human dwelling place. Uh, That's a phrase from James Baldwin's essay on the creative process and why artists need to exist in this world. Um, 
So I think about what does it mean to be a better human? What does it mean to put that into practice? If I believe in love as the most central thing to life and to community um, and to my belief about Jesus, then am I putting that into practice every day in the best possible way? I think a lot about the purpose of the human. Mm. And is there a redemption arc for us, you know, that does not involve being transported to another realm called heaven, Mm -hmm. but that is right here. Um, I think this has at times been a religious question and has at times been a secular question. And I think that it has to be both. I think we've taken the sacred out of regular life. And so therefore we've been able to mistreat regular life and the regular life needs to be infused with the sacred so that we see everything as sacred. That's what I think a lot about. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, uh, since you're a six, that answer surprises me. Hmm. Did you expect me to say, I think about how afraid I am of everything? <laughs> no, 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 no. But no, no, I didn't. I, 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 but I thought it would be because I know you as somebody who has such an intense um, sense of social justice that that would have been somewhere on the list. And that to me is what it means to create a more human dwelling place. Absolutely. What does it mean to care more, you know, to care about each other more? Mm -hmm. How do we care about each other more and actually show up for one another with one another? Mm -hmm. That's what I mean by a human dwelling place. Mm -hmm. That essay uh, from Baldwin, it ends so beautifully by talking about the artist's role is as a lover's role to hold the mirror up to the other so that the other can experience himself and then to go out into the world and let others experience themselves. And so this, you know, Baldwin was just such a master of words and that image of holding the mirror to a lover so that you see you as I see you is also how we need to hold the mirror up to the world. Mm. And then I get up and yell at my kids to put on their shoes and immediately I'm taken out of this question about love and getting them (laughs) out the door. (laughs) So, you know, Well, that's the reason I ask you to preempt those responses (laughs) because I know I know that you you got all those concerns as well. Yeah. Would you like to try and answer that second question? Um, I'm curious. What is it that occupies your heart and mind space? Um, I think that one of my real concerns that I think about a lot is my concern about the future of our democracy. That occupies me and my thinking a lot. I um, 
happened to see a program on Frontline last night, which was when Tuesday night. I got on the internet this morning and typed in Frontline. You can go to Frontline's website and watch the program that we watched last night on, it aired in the PBS Channel 8 market in Houston. I think it was some uh, something uh, other in other places in the country. I think these stations are them independently. Um, it's a program uh, that is about the January 6th insurrection, but it, it did you see it? I didn't see the frontline program, but I've been reading a lot about it the last couple of days as we're coming up on a year of that occurrence. Well, the program is narrated by a reporter who decided to do an in-depth reporting on what led up to the Charlottesville debacle and the things that preceded that, that made that possible, and then what followed it. And... I knew, am aware that there are disgruntled people in the country. I have heard, um, you know, various presidential historians say we're on the verge of losing our democracy and all that. But I thought uh, it's not that, not that widespread. But this front frontline um, documentary really brought me up short. The the what the the widespread uh, dissatisfaction with the United States on the part of a huge number of people is very, very concerning to me. Hmm. And um, I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. I mean, I think for any of us who have been raised here to believe that democracy is the best form of government. We can't deny that our particular democracy has been built by and for those who identify as white, right? So for us, this is like a shattering of something that we believed was good and worked and lived, right? And could be that we could affect change as people, as individuals, if we just use our voices. And, and for me, that's these last couple of years, I wanna say six to eight years have been a shattering of a worldview that I thought worked. And so some real grief about that. Well, mm -hmm. where do I belong if this doesn't work? Um, what does it mean? What does it mean for your children? What does it mean for my children? I can't wake up and not think about the three boys and one man who live with me in black bodies. I can't not think about that. And their experience, not my kids so much. They still have quite a lovely view of the world. My middle son asks a lot of deep questions <laughs> and my older son is more interested in the kind of cosmic questions, but my husband has not experienced the world the same way I have or our democracy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
so those are those are my concerns. My, my and I'm going to speak to the first question on um, Sunday, and I'm going to have a way to get some people's responses. But um, I'm coming more and more to see that one of the ways that a misunderstanding of Christianity has played into our current political dilemma is that Christianity as perceived in the West, in the United States, primarily and primarily Protestant expressions of Christianity have been, um, has been a religion for the white and the powerful. Mm -hmm. And that's been a down payment for the very kind of troubles that we're having right now. Said, yeah you know the storyline of christianity has been you're a sinner i have the solution meaning the church is saying this do what i say and you'll be okay believe yeah. these things belong to this club and uh that's such a gross misunderstanding as you would put it of the teachings of jesus and really of historic christianity prior to the reformation um, mm -hmm. so we got a lot of redeeming to do yeah yeah and it's, so it's funny so I have this book um, it's a book of essays called the impossible will take a while and every time before we do a podcast I think about well what what book have I been sort of inspired by recently and I grab it and I just have it sitting here just in case I need to open it <laughs> and right now is a good moment actually I um I read the other night an essay by Howard Zinn do you know Howard Zinn he wrote the people's history of the United States mm -hmm. uh, historian social critic um political scientist and he wrote an essay called the optimism of uncertainty what and, a great title yeah, A, just the title's so wonderful. Um, and he's talking, and, you know, Howard Zinn has been one of the most outspoken critics of capitalism, democracy, imperialism, yada, yada, yada. And yet this, this essay is all about hope, the hope in the individual human beings, the hope in the groups of people who get up and do the right thing and fight for love every single day. Mm -hmm. And love, I think in his view would be love is, justice is what love looks like in public, right? The kind of Cornell West version. But he said, <laughs> I have tried hard to match my friends in their pessimism about the world. Is it just my friends? But I keep encountering people who, in spite of all the evidence of terrible things happening everywhere, give me hope especially young people in whom the future rests. I think of my students, goes on to name them, but he says, I think of the fellow in Alice Walker's poem once who acted out of the spirit of a new generation. It is true, I've always loved the daring ones, like the black young man who tried to crash all barriers at once, wanted to swim at a white beach in Alabama naked. That's a wonderful book, The Impossible yeah. Take a Walk. Yeah. I haven't read it. I'm you tempt me to want to buy it. Because you and I both need more books to read. 
um, yeah, but I, I just really thought, wow, to read about hope from Howard's in is needed <laughs> right now. And, and to go back to Baldwin, Baldwin, you know, he's the one who said, I love America more than any country in the world. And therefore I reserve to the right to critique her relentlessly. And I think you can love something and still critique it and still want it to be better. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. love people and I want us to be better. <laughs> you know, me too. I want us to be better. Yeah. Maybe you should title this podcast that. I want us to be better. Hey, there we go. That's it. <laughs> we need to be. And and I, I think that the better that um, is so desperately needed in this country is how can we experience some sort of healing for our horrible divisiveness? Yeah. Yeah. So that gets into your concern about how do we make the world a better place? Yeah, more human dwelling place. Yeah. And, and even in saying that, I, you have to ask yourself, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that humans reign supreme? No, it means humans need to learn to be more like the idea we have of ourselves. Yeah. Optimistic, full of creativity, full of care and connection and community. I, I think we have a really good idea about ourselves. Well, I think that what, if you'll let me use this language, what we were yeah. created for, what I, what the evolutionary process has led us to in this point of human development is the very sacred, solemn obligation to reflect back on the well-being of the cosmos. Yeah. Yeah, we are the universe reflecting upon itself. Yep. And, you know, so, so interesting at the heart of philosophy and religion um, is this question of, is the universe conscious? Is there a God who created the possibility for it? Or did the universe itself just possess the possibility for it? And I tend to fall in that camp of the latter um, that I don't know if at the very beginning there was consciousness, so to speak, but there was the possibility for it. What would Teilhard say? Teilhard believes that there was a God who created the, the yeah. and and that's where I'm not aligned with Teilhard, but I believe in the evolution of that consciousness. Um, Teilhard also believes in the evolution of consciousness that it was never going to happen with God alone. Right. Right. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that whatever beings with minds on this planet and in this cosmos um, needed to engage with God in order to continue developing that consciousness. I don't, really care which one is the sort of right answer, a preeminent God versus, um, you know, the kind of imminent God, if you will. Um, I just care what we do with it, what we, how we, how we respond to that challenge of becoming more human. Mm. uh, By the way, before we go, do you make New Year's resolutions? I make kind of goals and aspirations, but I don't have things like I'm going to get up and ride my Peloton every day for 45 minutes. No, I feel like those are just setting me up for failure, but I do have kind of 
hopes and aspirations for the year. What about you? Uh, don't make resolutions. <laughs> I used to, uh, but um, I think people make resolutions about what they're not going to do. They, you know, they're not going <laughs> to sit around and whatever. Um, yeah. I noticed that every year when I used to go more regularly to an athletic club, five days a week that in January and February they were packed and then but by oh, March yeah. the attendance was back to what it was <laughs> before. exactly right yeah July August forget about it <laughs> yeah 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 I I one of my I think fairly obvious goals is I'm gonna finish this dissertation and defend it <laughs> this year so that's um that's definitely on it on the list, but yeah. And I, and you know, another thing that I really just need to work on. And I, I said this to you, uh, I think out of grief recently, um, I need to be kinder to myself. Mm -hmm. I'm hard on myself. <laughs> so we all probably need more self-compassion. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, mm -hmm. I gotta go. Alrighty. This has been fun. Yeah, surprise questions. <laughs> uh, I like that. I'll Talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>